7 in your Bible this morning, Luke chapter 7. We spent about the last month there in Luke chapter 6 finishing up the Luke account of the Beatitudes and Jesus had been there preaching that Sermon on the Mount and what a message that was. And, I, and that really was, was, has been helpful to me. It's kind of changed the way I've looked at people this last month and, and I'm thankful for what we've uh, been able to study together in that and how we've grown together uh, through those truths on the uncommon blessings, the, what we do with those that may oppose us and uh, just continuing to obey God and be fruitful in life he's given us. I'm thankful for that account of the Sermon on the Mount. And has Jesus finished that? He has now come down from the Mount. He's there in the city of Capernaum, and he's about to encounter a Roman centurion. And as, as we look here, we're reminded of our theme verse for the whole book of Luke as we've been going through it together. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we were there at the beginning of the book. Jesus was coming. We divided it up into that section, understanding that Jesus had to come to this world for us, and he was born of, of Mary and, and, and grew up there as, as, a, as a young boy with them in Nazareth. And now Jesus has gone from coming to Jesus is seeking. And we're back here in Luke chapter 7 together. Let's stand as we are going to begin reading here. But Jesus was seeking those he could help, seeking those that he could save. And uh, now a man is approaching Jesus for Jesus to help someone he cared very much about. We'll begin reading here in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Now, when he had entered, ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. I'm going to be preaching this morning here from Luke chapter 7 on faith that marveled Jesus. Faith that marveled Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the privilege that it is to serve you together this morning and to uh, preach here, Lord, about your life and how you came for us. And God, I pray this morning as we're here, Lord, in your word that you would open our hearts and minds to the truths that you have for us through it. Lord, I need you this morning. And God, I pray that you would keep the devil far from this place and God, that you would, uh, Lord, anoint me with your spirit to preach your word clearly. And God, that as, Lord, all of us that are saved have your spirit dwelling within us, I pray that your spirit work in our hearts. Lord, not my words, Lord, not my thoughts, uh, Lord, not a, a clever way to try to communicate, but God, that it would be your spirit, Lord, that speaks through me and speaks to each and every individual in the pew this morning. Lord, bless us today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
There was an Olympic gold medalist named Daryl Pace who was set to give an archery exhibition in Central Park there in New York City. And this event was one that was covered by all the news stations and people had gathered around and this man would get there and he would shoot steel-tipped arrows to bullseyes all over the park from different distances and different things in the way, different distractions. And after a while of shooting and getting those bullseyes, he went around and he asked for a volunteer. And he he said, all I want is for some individual to hold this apple in their hand waist high and I'll do the rest. It's pretty easy. And as you can imagine, if I was to tell you this morning, I was very good at archery and asked for a volunteer. Maybe someone stand in the back. I don't know if there'd be too many or actually any volunteers. I wouldn't do it. But we had this group of people. Out of them was one news correspondent that came and he volunteered and he reluctantly held that apple in his hand and from a distance the archer was there and he was shooting and and after a few moments that apple went to nothing and the bullseye behind him was hit right in the center. Everybody was shocked by that. Everybody was clapping and cheering except for one individual who was holding the camera that was supposed to be showing it on TV that night because he had a blurry shot and missed the whole thing. And he said, can you do it again? They did it again. You know, that took faith, didn't it? I don't know how many, would anybody in here hold an apple like that? Anybody? You got to be somebody. I don't know if anybody would do it the second time after, after it happened the first time. But that took faith. You know, Webster, when it came to faith, he said, faith is an affectionate, practical confidence in the testimony of God. Another commentator said, faith is a firm cordial belief in the veracity of God and all the declarations of his word or a full and affectionate confidence in the certainty of those things which God has declared and because he has declared them. Now Augustine on the thought of faith he said faith is to believe what we do not see and the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. You know when it comes to the things of God in your life and mine we don't see a whole lot from God. We understand God's promises, we understand what he's told us he will do, but at the same time, we can't see the future. We can't see how God is going to work a certain trial out for his good, or how God is going to heal someone we may care about, or how God may do this or that for us, or use us in a certain way to reach people. There's, there's many times in our life where we can't see a way out of the stronghold that may be there, or in someone else's life, it takes faith to live the Christian life. You know, faith is possibly the single most important aspect of the Christian life. What what did Jesus say about it? He said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. I remember one of my first times preaching, and and I've told you before, it's not something I I am gifted in by any means to talk in front of people, but as God calls, he will enable and I remember as a young, young preacher with the opportunity to preach in front of a church, possibly you know, for the first time or hadn't done it too many times before that. And I remember this certain moment of leaving the office there and having my notes and my Bible. And I am scared to death of what is going to happen in those next 40 minutes. And my wife, she looked at me and she said, are you nervous? And I said, yeah, it's pretty obvious. And she says, well, don't be nervous. She's being a good wife and encouraging me. She said, don't be nervous. Nobody's expecting very much. She didn't really say that. You know, many times our expectations of God aren't very high. We, we know his word. We have had much of it memorized. 
We know what our God did. We acknowledge that he created this world that we live in. But in our hearts, we're not expecting very much. And that's on no one but us. You know, God, God says he will use us. God has given us our commands. He's promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised us as we go out and as we serve him, as we go and tell others, as we spread the gospel, he will enable us and give us boldness to do those things. He's also promised wisdom to those that ask him, right? How do we live concerning the promises of God? What steps of faith are we taking on a regular basis? I think everybody would agree with me today, there's a great lack of faith amongst Christians. There's churches all over the world today that are talking about faith, that are singing about faith, that are preaching about faith, but there's so many Christians that rarely act on faith. The book of Hebrews says without faith it is impossible to please God. So we understand if we want to please God with our life, and I believe everyone in here this morning, you're sitting here in church, I believe you have a desire in your heart to please God. But if we're living without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, as we study this book of Luke, we've seen plenty of people who followed Jesus and and saw the things that he could do. We've seen lepers that have come to Jesus asking for help and and Jesus healed them. We've seen his disciples just drop their nets and follow him or drop the occupation they were and follow him. We've seen a group of people, four people that took their friend to the top of a roof and lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. We saw all these people, the man with the withered hand, people that had faith that Jesus could help them and he did. We've seen it exercised in this book. But here in Luke chapter 7, We find a man whose faith brought amazement to Jesus. In the words that the Bible uses here, it was faith that marveled Jesus. And as I studied this week and as I read this this chapter and and looked at this story here, I want that for my life. I desire to have that same sort of faith in my life, one that, that will make my God proud, one that will marvel my Savior. That's what I desire for my life. I desire that for my children this morning. And I'm thinking of our children of the church, the many of them that are over there in the other building right now being taught the word of God and and, and being able to sing to the Lord and being grown in their faith for God. I want them one day to have faith that marvels Jesus for them to trust him when things get difficult or when the world may be against them or when our, our country even may be opposed to some of the things we stand on in the word of God. I want faith for my children. I want faith for you. It's my desire as a pastor here for us to, as we look at the Word of God and and study it together, for us to grow in our faith to God. And as we walk by His Spirit, as we operate under the Spirit of, of God, that we will see great and mighty things happen as we trust He will hold to His promises. I want faith that marvels Jesus for the unsaved today. There's people all, all over Midland and Odessa. And the only difference between you and them this morning is Jesus. And there's people all over the place that as soon as they give their life to Jesus, they could trust him. Every word that he says, they could have faith that marvels Jesus. I want that for them. You know, if we want faith that marvels Jesus, understand this morning, first of all, faith will be tested. Faith will be tested. We look here in the beginning of this chapter and in verse 2, we have this man introduced, this centurion. Said a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick. And ready to die. 
you look there in the back of your bulletin, you have a picture of, of what a centurion might have looked like in that day. This was a powerful man. He was one that led about 100 men or, or sometimes less than that, and they would govern a certain area there of the city and keep it safe and, and hold to the law and, and do certain other things. Somewhat of a powerful man in the community and usually somewhat of a rough character, and they were often hateful to their subjects. But here we see an unusual relationship between a centurion and those that lived in the area. He had a good relationship with the Jews. And we look there in verse 6, and, 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 and they were speaking of him, of, of being one, excuse me, uh, verse three through, 3 through 6 there. He built a synagogue for them. He cared for them. They, they thought highly enough of him that as they went to Jesus, they said, he is worthy that you do this for him. This man was a little different. See, the centurion and the other character we find there in verse 2 is his sick servant. This powerful man cared for his servant. We understand he was sick and ready to die. If we look in the Matthew account of the story, he was one that was sick of the palsy. The Bible tells us he was grievously tormented. He was possessed with this illness where he could really no longer move and he was in pain. And he was to a point there on his deathbed with no hope. You know, many masters, in particular a centurion, one that could get about anything he wanted in the community, would usually just maybe send the servant home to their family to die there. Maybe leave them in the servant's quarters of the, of the house and, and, until they had passed and, 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 and maybe you know, try to do some other things for them to tend to themselves until they eventually die. But this man wanted to help his servant. It's a good man. You know, Bad things happen to good people. We've heard that many times, haven't we? You know, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Speaking to his own people. There's peace in me, but in the world there's tribulation. He's telling them, expect it in the world. Peter wrote, he said, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. We see it often, many people, they give their life to Christ or they, they get back to a good standing in their relationship with the Lord and a difficult time comes and they're, they're just blown, blown they, they don't understand how it can happen. Just blown away by that coming to them. We don't find anywhere in the Word of God that we are exempt from trials. There's nowhere in the Bible we, where we are uh, just no, there's nothing bad ever going to happen to us. What we find is quite the opposite. Uh, example after example, promise after promise, statement after statement that there will be persecutions. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. And he said, don't think it's strange that some weird thing has happened. You're different than everybody else. All of us will face trials. No matter how good a person may be. Hard times will come. Trials will come. Difficult circumstances. Uncomfortable days will come. Expect them. Now there's people this past year that have had some health scares or health issues. There's people here that have had insecurity in the job. There's disappointments in life, things that you expected to happen that didn't, people that you expected to, to uphold a promise didn't. Your faith is often tested. Understand this morning, if we want faith that marvels Jesus, we need to be aware that our faith will be tested. Second thing this morning, our faith will be revealed. In every test, faith will be revealed. 
might be little, might be big, might be no faith. But in every testing, your amount of faith will be revealed in that situation, first of all, in our actions. If we look at this centurion, he could have given up. The Bible says his servant was sick and ready to die. It seems like it's a little too late for this man to get anything that could help him, isn't it? No doubt he probably had doctors come in and being the man that he was, he had connections. No doubt people came and and saw this young man and tried to help him. And he did all these things for him. And and I, I think nobody would have held it against him if he would have just given up and left that young man to die. He had no hope. But he heard this Jew named Nazareth that had recently been in Capernaum quite a bit, named Jesus. I would imagine as a centurion in Capernaum, we've we've seen all the mess that has already happened in the book of Luke. If Jesus was there in the synagogues and the people that were healed and all the people that gathered outside the house, no doubt with all the, the ruckus that had been caused, this man had seen Jesus possibly already. I like to believe he probably had seen someone that was healed. Maybe he was outside the house that day trying to clear traffic so people could go through the roads as they were gathered outside the house. And he sees this man that was once lame running, carrying his bed. And he sees all these things happen and he understands there's something different about this Jesus. He's healed people. He's changed people. And if he could do those things for those people, no doubt he could heal his servant. This centurion exercised faith. When he just asked for help, he didn't give up. My wife's aunt and uncle for several years owned a Great Dane. I don't know if anybody in here has had one of those. I know a couple of you have big dogs. And I remember the first time seeing this dog is just standing on all fours. Its head was about right here, and its head was about that big around, it seemed like. And you could get it to stand its paws up on your shoulders. It would be taller than I was, and a huge dog. We'd often go over there to, the back, to their house and have times together. And I remember in the backyard one day, we were having a cookout. And Foose, the dog, was just running around in the backyard. And his tail was knocking kids over and, and knocking over cups on the tables. He's just big and clumsy. And so Hallie's uncle went and took the dog to the corner of the yard. And I'm like, okay, he's just going to stay there. And then he went and he got an extension ladder. And he carried that extension ladder to the yard and trapped the dog in the corner and set that ladder on its side about this high. So the ladder on its side is about this high, and the dog's legs are about this high. And I'm looking at Hallie like, what is, what is he doing? Doesn't really seem like that's going to help anything. And the whole evening, that dog stayed on the other side of that ladder. They joked about it, and they said many times in the house, if there was a sock or a stuffed animal or something in the middle of the hallway, the dog felt trapped. He wouldn't pass it. He thought there was no possible way to conquer that huge mountain in front of him. He saw an obstacle in his way, and he gave up immediately. How close does that hit home with you? How often have we done the same thing? There's going to be many moments of your life where your faith is going to be tested. Whereas you understand that God has you to do something in particular, or God has you to be the husband or father or, or, or mother or wife that you need to be, or to be the employee and, and, and do what's right in this situation, or to say no in this situation, and we see these obstacles in front of us, and so often, and, and, and it's so common today for people of God just to give up, not even try to live by faith doing what it is that God would have them to do. 
You know, God commanded us in the book of Jeremiah, call unto me. And I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We know what God wants. We often know what God expects. But often we give up before we even start. Reminded of of doing things with our children growing up. And I remember the boys early on just trying to sit down and do some puzzles with them or games. And every kid, you've already noticed with my kids, every kid has a different personality. Some are more strong-willed, some are not. Some are more obnoxious, some are not. And speaking of obnoxious, I remember Jackson doing a puzzle with him. And, and as a little boy, I'd try to help him. He'd be there struggling, and I'd try to show him where it was, and he'd, I'll do it. Barely even talk, he'd push me away. He wanted to do things his own way, and it would take him a long time to put that puzzle together. I remember, remember Peter watching him do this, the same thing, and after a moment of seeing him struggle as, as his father, I'd try to say, try right there. And he'd look at me and he'd, he'd put it right there. He'd get the next piece and he'd kind of look at me and wait for me to point the next one to him. And over and over again, he would do that and he would get that puzzle done much more quickly than Jackson did. I was capable of helping both of them. One took advantage of it and one didn't. When you need help, your heavenly Father's there. But how often do we say, I got this. That's okay, I'll figure this out. We take things into our own hands, we try this, we try that, we try that, instead of ever going to our almighty God who can help us in whatever the situation is. Our faith is often revealed by our actions, isn't it? Our faith is also revealed in our view of God's authority. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. He was already aware of who Jesus was. As we look in the Matthew account, that word Lord was interpreted master. He understood that Jesus had an authority that nobody else around him did. He knew who Jesus was. He was greatly aware of what he could do. But often, the things that we do, as our faith is tested, it reveals we don't look at him as we should. You know, Jesus is a name that is above every name. The Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is above everyone else. He's greater than any person, He's greater than any problem. And at this moment, Jesus, the Bible says, is at the right hand of God in 1 Peter chapter 3. This man understood who Jesus was. Can I remind you this morning that Jesus is sovereign? Can I remind you this morning that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And we look at the beginning of this book and in chapter 1 and we see this, an angel go to this young girl named Mary. 
who's no different than anybody else around her. She's a a young girl. She hadn't yet been married. She's a virgin. And this angel comes to her and says, you are going to bear the Messiah. She asked questions. She said, how can these things be? I haven't known a man. How how is this going to happen? And what do they say? With God, nothing is impossible. You know, we are here this morning, and there's many of us that, that say we know God, and we understand the Word of God, we know Scripture, we have verses memorized, and, but the things that we do, the testings of faith truly reveal how we view God and His power. God spoke this world into existence. Do you think if God could speak this world into existence, that He could help you in that trial you're in right now? This Jesus that this man is speaking to was one that raised himself from the dead, conquered death. Do you think this morning that Jesus could possibly help you overcome that temptation? Those money problems, that health issue? I'm reminded of Jesus there in the boat when the storms had come, the wind was blowing, the waves were high. He stood up and he said, peace be still, and everything obeyed him. Do you think if he could do that, he can help you in this time of uncertainty in this world we live in? That he can help you raise your children in a world that is trying to defy everything the Bible says? Many times we neglect to view him as he properly is. Our testing of faith reveals our view of God and who he is, but also our view of God pertaining who we are. This was a humble man, wasn't it? He didn't demand that Jesus came to his house. He didn't demand the attention of Jesus. He's speaking to Jesus through other people, having them take messages to him. And as Jesus was walking to his house, he sent some more people out to say, hey, you don't need to come in. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy that you come into my house. And some commentators like to suggest that he didn't want Jesus to come into his house because he knew Jewish law. Jews were not supposed to go into Gentiles' houses. You look in Acts chapter 10 and 11 and see evidence of that. But that wasn't it. This, This was some kind of ceremonial this wasn't some ceremonial issue with him this was something that was personal i believe that as this centurion looked at jesus and understood it and was able to witness all the things jesus had done and as he looked at who jesus was he saw himself with a sense of shame he saw himself as just a humble sinner He had a broken heart before Jesus, and it reminds me of the psalm that says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That's how we should approach our God every single day. This was a powerful man. Could have gotten anything he wanted in that community. But his view of Jesus changed his view of himself. And I want to tell you this morning, if you have a proper view of God and his authority, you will have a proper view of yourself. So how do do we grow in humility? How do we improve the way we see ourselves or or actually lessen the way we see ourselves and see God as he is? Humility stems from seeing our insufficiency and Christ's all-sufficiency. As we look at the story, this servant was about to die. He was helpless to deal with this illness and this this death that was coming. And what a picture that is of the human race and of our condition without Jesus unable to deal with the consequence of sin 
on our own, heading to spiritual death. It's only by the grace of God and by his death on the cross that we can ever attain heaven. A true faith in what he's done. You know, the centurion saw his insufficiency to deal with the problem. But he saw Jesus' all-sufficiency. He couldn't help a servant anymore. He couldn't heal him. He couldn't fix the problem. But he saw what Jesus could do. I want to remind you, the centurion was, was a very good man. The, the elders that came to Jesus said, this man is worthy, you do something for him. But what did he say? I'm not worthy, you come into my house. They praised him for building them a house of worship. He felt unworthy that Jesus take a foot in his house. They said he was deserving of this and he felt himself undeserving. Strong faith and great humility are entirely compatible. You know, God isn't looking for people this morning who are something. He's looking for people as they properly view him that realize they are nothing. Our faith is revealed in in our view of God. The third thing here, our faith is revealed in our response to his word. This is my favorite part. He says there in verse 8, For I also... And a man said under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. To my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So Jesus said, I'll come heal him. And Jesus is heading to the house. The man sends the people out to say, stop. There's no need to come. I'm not worthy. You come into my house. And then he says, I'm a man of authority. I have many people under my authority, and if I tell them to go and and do something, they will go and do this. If I tell them to come and I send somebody to them, they will immediately come. If I say go, they will go wherever I tell them. He said, Jesus, if you say it's done, that's enough. The centurion stated, he recognized that all Jesus needed to do was say the word. He said, Jesus, you say he's healed, I believe it. He knew the word of Jesus had authority. The psalmist wrote of God, it said, for he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's the power of God. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be back there on Wednesday night in the life of Abraham. And Abraham was this man who God approached on his own and, and gave him promise after promise and told him of what he was going to establish with him. And they, him and his wife in their old age were going to have children. And, and we look at Abram, he had, he had mountaintops and valleys in his journey. But he believed God time and time again and he obeyed God at his word. And, and, and the Bible describes in the book of Romans talking of Abram, it says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Abram believed God at his word. Do you know this morning what God has told you to do? Are are you aware of the promises of God? If you're here this morning with a Bible, you're not just holding a book that can help you. You're holding the inspired word of God in your hand. You have God's direct word for you, his revelation for you. And what it says in here is true. We have the promises in our possession. We have demonstration after demonstration of his love for us, of his grace toward us. We have reminders of his peace. 
God says, if you are careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says in the next verse, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind. In a world where so many are struggling with, with their thoughts and, and struggling with anxiety and worries and fears, God says, you give those to me, you can have my peace. You know, God has told us that we are to witness. The last thing that Jesus told us to do was to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As a Christian, that is your duty. That is your commission. And he said, as we do that, you can do it with my power. You're not alone in this. My, my spirit that dwells within you can enable you and, and help you to have boldness as you speak to others. And, and you're not alone as you share the gospel. What about where it says, my God shall supply all your need? What about where the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it? Do it. If Jesus said it, if God said it, is that good enough for you? You know, Spurgeon, he said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and it is not good for much. <laughs> Either believe it all or believe none of it. Every time I see those words, this man says, Lord, you don't even have to come. This was a Roman. Didn't spend any time in the synagogues. He built one for the Jews. He didn't grow up hearing about the Messiah. He didn't grow up understanding what his God had done for his people. This was a, a Gentile that said, Jesus, if you say it, I believe it. Where is our faith? Faith will be tested. Faith will be revealed. Third thing, last thing. Faith will be rewarded. If you look here in verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. This man had faith in Jesus, and Jesus recognized his faith to the point of being marveled at it. What if we all lived in a way where our faith marveled Jesus? Don't settle for anything else. You know, Jesus was marveled twice in the Bible. One time in the story of the centurion we see in Matthew in the book of Luke. He was also marveled at his own people. Look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and, and verse 5. Speaking of Jesus there, and it says, And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus went back to Nazareth with a great burden for his own people. 
and they denied him. And twice do we see him marveled, once at the faith of a Gentile, and the other at his own people. Those most likely to believe, neglected to believe. For hundreds of years, they waited, they prayed, they sang for the one day coming of their Messiah. And when he was finally there doing ministry, they wouldn't believe him. They wouldn't accept him. But we see this centurion trusting his words to be enough. Those most likely to believe neglected to believe. Many of you have grown up with the Bible. If you haven't grown up with it, there's many here that have been in church for years. We understand what it says. We've seen God work. You can think back on the day that you were saved. You think of all that God has done since that moment. We know the songs. We've heard the testimonies. We've seen God do great things in our life. Why so often are we who are most likely to believe not believing? Why are we so often the ones who should have strong faith because not only has God given us his word and we understand it, but God has already demonstrated his power for us. Why so often do we, who God has already done things for, not live with any faith in him? Jesus looked at this man and he said his faith is greater than everyone in Israel. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was speaking to the disciples and they started to get a little hungry and they remembered there was no bread. They started to worry about how they would eat and Jesus spoke to them. He says, oh, ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the the 5,000 and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many baskets you took up. Jesus was saying, you've been with me. You've seen me feed thousands of people with a little bit of food and you're worried about lunch. Oh, ye of little faith. So we see little faith talked about and then we see great faith talked about. What's the difference? Is there some sort of meter or thermometer we could attach ourselves to to find out what level of faith that we have? What does that exactly mean? Little faith, great faith. Big faith believes everything God says. Little faith doesn't believe the advanced truths. We understand this morning that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. We believe that. We, We understand that verse. If we understand that verse, then why do we worry about tomorrow? Because if we do, that means we don't believe it. Great faith believes it. Great faith believes the hard-to-believe truths of the Bible. Great faith can be in a difficult circumstance and still have the peace of God in their heart, not worrying because they know their God is good. Great faith can be in the middle of this trial or temptation, understanding everybody may be against them and they're facing persecution or or the job may be threatened because of a stand that may need to be taken and worrying about the outcome of a certain situation. But great faith can look at at those moment, at that circumstance and understand that God will be enough every time. That's great faith. Great faith has nothing to do with the size of our faith. It's about the difficult truths we believe or the difficult circumstances that we continue to hold the faith. 
This centurion had faith and believed in a few certain things. One of them, he believed in his own lack of merit. A good man who was told he was a good man that did good things for people. But he didn't think he deserved anything from God. You know, most people don't believe that, do they? I talked to a couple people at at their doors yesterday that said they think they've done good enough and they're probably still going to go to heaven. The Bible says it's not by works. It's by grace. There's nothing that we can do to attain salvation. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nothing we can do to attain it. But So many people don't have faith because they think they're enough. This man also not only believed in his own lack of merit, but he believed in the power of Jesus. He was confident in Jesus. He believed in the authority of Jesus. He knew the words of Jesus were enough to accomplish the healing, but most people don't believe that either, do they? The centurion had great faith because he believed in the power and authority of Jesus to do exactly what he said to do. Do we believe that? He believed in the ability of Jesus to heal from a distance. He believed Jesus didn't have to be physically present with this dying servant to heal him. Jesus didn't have to come and wave his arms or or touch the servant or didn't have to do any kind of special anointing. He just needed to know that he said it was done. And that was enough. Great faith is believing something that is harder to believe. Something that is contrary to what the flesh believes. Believing difficult truths. This man did that. And Jesus healed his servant. There was a letter that was found in a baking powder can wired to the handle of an old pump in the early 1900s in Nevada. It was a trail that was seldom used and people would travel through it and this was the one water source along the whole trail. And there was a note that was attached there in that can and it said this, I'll just read it to you. It says, this pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has to be primed. Under the white rock over there, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but if you don't drink some water first, you'll be okay. Pour about one-fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all you can hold. Anybody that had faith in what that letter said was able to possibly extend the life of the next person to find it. Faith in the written word of God will change the life of all who hear it. All who hold to it. 
all who obey what it says. It'll make a difference in you. If you live by faith in the word of God, it'll make a difference in your neighbor. It'll make a difference in your children. It'll make a difference in your spouse. It'll make a difference in that trial that you're in. It'll make a difference in the life of that enemy. Are we willing to believe in the difficult things so Jesus can do the impossible things? You know, Jesus made this boy whole. And it wasn't because the centurion was a good man. It's because he had faith in who he was talking to. About 20 years ago, my parents surprised us with a trip of a lifetime out west. And I was a Midwest boy. I was born in Georgia and then pretty much raised in Missouri there. And as a 13-year-old boy, my, my uh, parents, they surprised us one day. We thought we were going to be driving somewhere. We showed up at the airport. We flew to Salt Lake City and, and then drove out to California for about a week and a half and drove back. We were gone for two, three weeks. I'll never forget that trip. Saw things I'd never seen in my life. But I remember my sister and I, we had only been on a plane at one, at one point before that in our life, and we were both too little to remember it. And I remember being on that plane and it taking off, and my little sister, if I was you know, 13, she was 9 or 10, and she's on that plane coloring. And as soon as the plane took off, her crayons went everywhere, all over the floor. And she began to scream like none of us had ever heard before and said, I've lost them. They're gone. And she screamed and she cried and all of a sudden all these people all around us are unbuckling their seatbelts and trying to get the crayons and pick them up. And, and people all over are passing them down the aisle to get them back to my sister to get her to stop yelling. But she thought there must have been a hole in the, in the bottom of the plane and they were just gone forever and there was no way to get them back. And she, would, she worried and screamed until they got back to her. You know, there may be someone here this morning. That at one point you had faith. At one point you were daily walking with the Lord. At one point you were <laughs> believing what the Bible says. And now may not be what it once was. Grab a hold of it. Don't stop looking. Don't stop reading. Don't stop praying until you get it back. And when you do, you will see great things happen. Not because you're a good person. Because you're believing in the one who can do the almighty things. The impossible. It'll change your life. It'll change your family. And it'll change the way you can impact others. But we won't see anything happen for God in our life or in this church if we are not living with great faith. <laughs>